Hey, and welcome to 10 Minute Treadmill Stories. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm Jonah. I hope you're enjoying your treadmill or your chores or your car ride or whatever you're doing for the next 10 minutes. Lazing on the couch, eating tater tots. We we don't care. Sure. This is a <laughs> this is a tot friendly show. You could always email us at stacyandjonah at gmail.com if you have a story you think we should hear. Today, Stacey, I want to tell you about the Native Americans who helped build New York City, the Mohawk iron workers that helped construct everything from the Empire State Building to the George Washington Bridge, the United Nations, the Woolworth Building, 30 Rock Lincoln Center, Waldorf Astoria, Chrysler Building, World Trade Center, and on and on and on. They were an integral part in the ironwork construction of not only New York City, but a lot of the Northeast. By the way, when I say iron worker, I'm talking about iron walkers or skywalkers, the kind of people who are on those inch wide beams, hundreds of feet above the cement while they are, you know, seemingly effortlessly putting these buildings together. I get sweaty just reading about these guys. Seriously, I have seen pictures of workers up there just like eating their lunch on one of those steel beams. I would be dying. Absolutely dead. Well, this started way back in the 1800s, in the 1880s, in fact, when the Canadian Pacific Railroad wanted to build a cantilever bridge across the St. Lawrence River, and the bridge would land on the land of the Ganawake tribe near Montreal. Okay. As part of the deal to let the railroad build the bridge, they agreed that the company who was building the bridge would hire local men from the Ganawahe tribe as day laborers, you know, unloading, loading, cleanup. But soon after being hired on, a lot of these men were asking for different jobs, perhaps higher paying jobs, perhaps one of the most dangerous and high paying jobs, which was that of a riveter. Now, the riveters were the people who were, as I said, up top at the uppermost parts of whatever steel construction you're building making sure the final attachments are made. And it is not only dangerous work, it's highly skilled work. And there is a very high demand for riveters, but there's not a lot of supply. As I mentioned, not only is it dangerous, but you need to be skilled at this work. You also have to be able to deal with heights. In fact, the Dominion Bridge Company who helped this project happen, they were the company behind the project, they were specifically hiring like sailors and other people that like worked high above in other sectors, just like people who are used to being up in the air, used to heights. And here these guys came from this Mohawk tribe and they said, let us give this a shot. And they took to it immediately. And that's where it took off. So the company agreed to train 12 Mohawk men in riveting. And then when that job was complete, and it was, they went off to other jobs. And each one that went to a different job would bring a different apprentice from the reservation. And that apprentice was fully trained. And then when they went to a different job, the fully trained apprentice would then get another apprentice. So they went on and on like this for about 20 years till 1907. And there were about 80 highly skilled Mohawk riveters. But that's when the first big disaster struck in 1907, a bridge collapse that killed 75 men, including 33 Mohawk men. Oh they all died. God when a poorly engineered and under-engineered cantilever bridge in Quebec collapsed. That's terrible. However, someone from the tribe said it did not deter future or prospective riveters from the job. In fact, and I'm quoting, it made high steel much more interesting to the young men. It made them take pride in themselves that they could do such dangerous work. And after the disaster, they all wanted to go into high steel. So mm. actually, 
that disaster spiked participation and by 1920 almost all of the men on the mohawk reservation about 580 out of about 650 were in the structural steel union so this really was a big boom in mohawk men joining steel construction it was though as i just mentioned dangerous and one of the ways they decided to kind of spread the danger to lessen it for each individual was that number one, they would all kind of branch off and go to different areas and different jobs. They would also make the work crews smaller. So they thought if they could spread out and disaster struck, you know, it wouldn't kill 33 men at a time. It would kill four. And that was like a really kind of hardened way they looked at things, just kind of plain numbers to make sure that there wasn't going to be a huge blow to the tribe, yet everyone could continue to be working in high steel. Hmm. And another way that they kind of split out the work was they just spread out further. And one of the furthest places they went was a 12-hour drive south to New York City. In the 1920s, there was a construction boom. And as I mentioned earlier, stuff like the Empire State Building, the RCA Building, Daily News Building, Bank of Manhattan Building, Chrysler Building, Madison Square Garden, they all worked on all of these buildings and were a part in every single one of uh, the bridges I mentioned, the Bayonne Bridge, George Washington Bridge, Triborough Bridge, Henry Hudson Bridge, Hell's Gate Bridge, Bronx Whitestone Bridge. Like, there was a lot of work to go around. That's neat. There was so much work, in fact, that they built their own community in Brooklyn, not far, actually, from where I used to live in Sunset Hills, where, like, the local stores would start carrying Native American foods. They even had a church service, the only one in America to be conducted in their native language. Like, they really did make a little bit of a home for themselves in Brooklyn while they helped build this city. So riveting is one of three kind of main crews in high-rise construction. There's razors, there's fitters, and there's riveters. And there's no, uh, there's no mystery here. The yeah. razors <laughs> would raise the pre-measured beams to go up with a crane. So all the beams arrived on site pre-cut, pre-measured, uh, with instructions pre-drilled, like the little holes that you need to affix things, with a writing on it to say this beam is first floor northeast corner, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. The original Ikea is what you're saying. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the razors would raise and then the fitters would then loosely fit these beams to where they're supposed to go. And the fitting gang would then make sure it was level and even and bolt them into place a little bit tighter and more securely. And then finally, it was the time of the riveters. A four-man crew would make up a riveter gang, and they worked in tight-knit teams, picking people that they trusted because this was such difficult work. And you are balancing on these inches-wide beam the entire time, uh, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 300, 400 feet in the air. It can get pretty serious. Even 10 is too much. Even 10 is too much. <laughs> so to permanently affix a beam, here's what would happen. These four guys have four different titles. First, the heater. Well, the heater would use a portable coal-powered kiln, basically, to heat a rivet up until it was red-hot and malleable. Now, when I say a rivet, I'm basically talking about a bolt. So it's like yeah. a bolt with a head on one side, but then just straight with no end on the other side. Okay. So they would heat up that bolt till it was red-hot. Then they would take tongs and toss it to the sticker in. Now, I don't know if you can guess what the sticker in would do with that rivet. Might they but stick I'll go it ahead in? And, <laughs> and tell you, they would catch the rivet with a metal can, and then the bucker up 
would remove the temporary bolt while the sticker in would stick in the new red hot bolt. And then while the bucker up was holding the red hot rivet in place with a pry bar, the riveter would use a pneumatic hammer to squish down the other straight side of the rivet to make another head and then permanently huh. affix the two beams together. Am I describing... And like, are you able to follow? Because it, it really is a visual thing. Absolutely. And there's a gorgeous YouTube video that's almost like one of those satisfying to watch as a oh, guy yeah. just rivets and squishes and rivets and squishes. But that is basically how they would make this molten metal turn into permanently affixed steel construction. That is fantastic. And I also see why you have to have people you trust. Like... If that bucker misses catching a molten red hot bolt, (laughs) that thing's dropping 400 feet and people are going to die. So as I mentioned also, don't forget, right, they're balancing basically on these exposed beams the entire time. And it was a booming industry. By the 1960s, over 800 Mohawks lived in Brooklyn and it was such a long journey. A lot of them would actually move their families to Brooklyn as well. But by the 1970s, a new highway was constructed, which halved the travel time. So now it was only a six-hour drive between the reservation and New York City. And a lot of people decided that they no longer wanted to live in Brooklyn. And there was less and less work. Actually, the attack on the World Trade Center in 2001 actually kind of started to turn construction away from steel construction and towards concrete construction because concrete was completely heat resistant. And while they all thought that the trade centers would never fall, they did. And while there is still steel construction, the less work plus the easier commute basically kind of got rid of that community in Brooklyn. A lot of them moved back to the reservation, but Also, as I mentioned, it is still a job to this day. And there are still guys from the Mohawk reservations up by Montreal who still do make that commute down to Manhattan, down to Brooklyn to help with the steel construction, still in the unions. So this has been a tradition of about 150 years so far of these Mohawk men working in steel construction. But that is the brief history of how these men from the reservations up in Canada helped build Manhattan and really largely so much of the huge steel construction that you will ever come across if you're in the Northeast. Thanks for sharing. That was riveting. Okay. (laughs) And... (laughs) 